Greetings, friends and colleagues. This is the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. I am Scott Lee. In the last episode, we met Project Lit founder Jared Amato. This episode, we're going to speak with Shireen Cook, who is a teacher in the Metro Nashville Public Schools in Tennessee, who uses Project Lit in her classroom every day. Please note that we recorded this episode before the widespread shutdowns caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. She's going to tell us a little bit about some activities that currently she would not be able to do with her students. Welcome, Shireen Cook, to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. Thank you, Scott, for having me. So first off, as a former alternative school teacher myself, I'm always curious, how did you end up teaching in an alternative school? Well, it definitely feels like a a wonderful, lucky opportunity that I had throughout my teaching career. I've always really focused on wanting to serve those students who are furthest from educational justice, uh, the, the more underserved population. So all of my career and job choices have been centered around that goal, and I taught previously at a, at a comprehensive public high school in Nashville, and then I left teaching for a few years to work with a youth nonprofit organization through the Baha'i Faith that was looking at uh, character development in middle school and high school students, but I missed teaching, and when I came back, I knew uh, that I needed something a little bit different. And I really just happened upon this job opening at the Alternative High School, where I am currently. And, you know, the first interview that I had, it was really amazing, actually, because uh, I applied, and then I think it was literally the next day that I got called for an interview. So it felt a lot like fate. When I came in for the interview, the principal, um, who's amazing, he he was talking as though I already had the job. He, was, he, he wasn't asking me questions. He was asking what I needed from him. Was is really unusual in a job interview? I think you know usually. usually well, yeah, but that that's always always a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. But it it was almost too good to be true, right? He was like, "You need books. You want computers. Like, what do you want me to order?" <laughs> um, and so I I had to kind of kind of background check this guy. So I called friends that I knew in in the education field who had worked with him, and I was like, "Okay, is this guy for real?" And they all loved him. All the reviews were glowing. So, so I just accepted the position, and I can't imagine teaching anywhere else, honestly. What kind of alternative program is it? Uh, so our school actually houses three separate programs. It has the alternative high school, which is for students who have been expelled from their traditional high school or from a charter school, the program that I teach in. But we also have a transitional program for students who are needing a transition and we have an adult uh, program as well for students who are already over 18 but still trying to earn their high school credits. So it's each each one is on a different floor, though. So the alternative school is all on one floor. Yeah. That's... You know, I've always felt that alternative schools make a good laboratory for innovation. Part of the reason is you get a little bit more freedom. Have you found that to be the case? And what innovations from your experience? Do you think more schools should try? Yeah, I've, I've definitely found that to be the case. I mean, that's really part of what I love about working at the alternative school is that the school itself is smaller. 
so it's a much more uh, closer community, much more of a family-like atmosphere. You know, the teachers really step up to be leaders in the building and also have very strong relationships with each other. And we know all the kids. So I, even if I don't, you know, I only teach ninth and 10th grade, but I know most of the other students anyway. Just, But I think, you know, that, that that's really the benefit of the alternative school is that you have the smaller environment where kids who maybe were not able to be successful in a traditional environment now can get some real one-on-one -on -one attention that it would be impossible to give them in a regular school environment. One thing I guess that was really a challenge for me just in the public school, you know, in the traditional public school is that I might have a class of 30 or 35 kids and if I've got, you know, these two or three that are really a challenge, it's a lot harder to manage because you're also responsible for the other 30 in the room. If I've just got 10 of those really hard to manage kids, you know, I can be more flexible in what I'm trying. I, you know, people ask a lot, you know, whenever I say I work in an alternative school, <laughs> you know, people always have reactions, you know, raised eyebrows or, oh my goodness. Yeah. What did you do wrong? How did you end up there? Yeah. How did you end up there? Like, well, I chose to be here. <laughs> um, I wanted to be here. And the kids in the alternative school, for the majority of the case, are the same kids in regular public schools. And so the things that I'm able to do in the alternative school, I think, are things that absolutely would, would work and should be implemented in every high school. And I think one of the, a couple of the things that have really worked well are really the primary tools. I always kind of jokingly tell people that my classroom management strategy is based on bribery, flattery, and humor. But, I mean, I mean that seriously because it's, it's relationship building, right? I uh -huh. encourage kids a lot. So that flattery piece, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to look for opportunities of what they're doing well, um, what I can praise them on. You know, I had, I had one student, she was here for a whole year, and she was a habitual skipper. She was always skipping my class. So what I started acknowledging was how long she could stay in the class. So whenever she would get up to walk out, I'd be like, hey, you made it 15 minutes today. That's awesome. <laughs> to the point where it got to where she didn't skip anymore. She was able to build that capacity to where she would no longer skip my class. Or maybe if she was having an off day, she might skip one here or there. But not, you know, as an everyday thing like it used to be. So I think, you know, just really pointing out those positives is key. The bribery, it's like the, the incentives, right? And things that maybe you think wouldn't still work for high schoolers, like a sticker on their paper, like shout out and your name recognized on the board, you know, being able to earn rewards for good behavior, um, things like that still really work for high school. Mm -hmm. um, and they may even say at first, all oh, this is for little kids, but then you know what? They want their sticker too if they don't get one. So. Yeah. Yeah. High school kids know and notice who, who you're saying good things about. And that's something people want. So does make sense and it, and and these are kids that have never got oftentimes have never gotten that before and you know i think just the way in which we talk to people in general really matters the way we talk to our students matters and i've seen just i've had just numerous situations where i think it's a the the teacher who really sets the tone and the attitude for the classroom uh and if i allow something to make me upset and angry if I'm not able to regulate my own emotions, then they're not going to be able to regulate theirs. You know, but if I'm able to just calmly explain what the expectation is, explain
explain what the consequence is and enforce that consistently, things just run a lot smoother. That is, you know, so true. And and one of the things that I oftentimes am talking with uh, teachers about is how to build relationships. And that is something that that sometimes is hard. And a lot of the things that, uh, you know, what you're talking about doing, just the way that you relate to students, you know, in those day-to-day interactions has such a huge impact. Uh, Say we, a lot of teachers, or or a good number of teachers, I think, uh, sometimes forget that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I had one student who was particularly, you know, difficult for me to teach, who one day he came into the classroom eating sunflower seeds, and he just started spitting the shells on the floor. That was gross. That is a, a kind of behavior that could really get under a teacher's skin. And I had to think in that moment how I was going to react. Was I going to, you know, become angry at him? Was I going to get on to him? Was I going to enforce some consequence or put him out of my class? Instead, I just said to him, you know, very friendly, like, hey, I know you're going to pick that up, right? Like, just assuming the best of him. Mm-hmm. And his response was, yeah. And then he started picking him up. Good. Like, that was the end. <laughs> it could have been a situation that really blew up into a battle or defiance or, you know, more mess, but I just simply treated him like a friend and was like, I know you're not, you know, coming in here making this mess, mm. and assumed that he would do the right thing, and he did. Yeah, that's huge. You know, the the opportunity for, for choice and autonomy is too many times overlooked. Yeah, just so. the way, I think, in which discipline is practiced. Many times it's very, um, it's very punitive rather than educative. <laughs> you know, for me, when I'm enforcing a consequence, it's not because I don't like you. It's not because I want to get you in trouble and make you unhappy. It's because I have certain expectations, and if you're not meeting those, then there's a, there's a resulting consequence. So even when, you know, I have situations, for instance, where, you know, not every class is perfect, of course, and there are some classes, the mood of the class, or just who, who is there that day, they can get very rowdy, have a hard time focusing, you know, and there will be occasions where I have to put a student out of the room or where I will assign detention as a consequence so that they can make up the work that they're not doing in class. But a strategy that I've found that works really well is if I assign detention and I say, or I write a referral and I say, hey, look, I'm not trying to give you detention. This is what's going to happen if you don't change your behavior. If you're able to change your behavior before the end of the class period, like I'm just going to throw this away because I'm not trying to, you know, it's not my goal to just be mean. My goal is for you to behave a certain way. And so when I come at it with that approach, probably a good, you know, 80% of the time, I don't actually have to turn in those referrals or assign those detentions by the end of the period because they're able to, you know, recognize that they have some choice in whether they receive that consequence or not. Mm -hmm. If you could redesign anything about schools in general, what would it be? Or what would some be some things you would change? and, And why is that? That is a hard question to answer, I think, because there are, you know, the school system is such a complex organism, and, and a big part of it, I think, is not really, the changes that need to be made are not necessarily changes at the classroom level, right? It's changes to policy, changes at the level of teacher training, changes at the level of, you know, equitable distribution of resources, and, you know, whether or not schools are segregated, and things like that. But if we're looking at just sort of the, the the content of what would go into a class. I mean, I think the smaller schools and classes would be ideal. I think moral education or character education is a big piece that's missing in many of our school systems. 
I think that service learning is something that really helps students to take what they're learning and put it into practical action and see the relevance of what they're learning in the real world, ultimately most engaging. So I'm a very big proponent of service learning. You've been involved in a grassroots student-led initiative called uh, Project Lit. So what is Project Lit? So Project Lit is a, a grassroots literacy program, a nonprofit that basically has two goals. One goal is to eliminate book deserts, to try to, you know, that is to try to provide books to students who maybe live in areas where they don't have a lot of access to libraries or bookstores. And then the other piece of that is providing access to culturally relevant texts, which has been just an absolute game changer in my classroom. Because too often, the students that I teach are not able to see themselves reflected in the stories and literature that we read in school, and therefore their engagement is not there. They're not seeing their own place in the world. So Project Lit has this ability to provide, you know, there's that, there's, there's that quote, I can't remember, but there's this quote that talks about that books should be both mirrors and windows so that you can see yourself reflected, you know, but also see, see others, learn about others as well. A really, a really great service by providing this opportunity to share these types of um, materials, because there was some there was some data also about just in the publishing industry of children and young adult literature that seventy percent of literature published, and I think this is from two thousand fifteen, seventy percent of literature published featured white characters, and more characters, more animal characters were featured than children of color. So that's something that I see is very problematic, and Project Lit is doing a great job of addressing that. So tell me a little bit more about how Project Lit is implemented in your school, being an alternative school. Right now, we're just kind of working on at at the most basic level of Project Lit, which is we're reading the books and providing these opportunities for students to read um, the Project Lit books in class. And we're doing a monthly book club that teachers and community members also participate in to discuss the book um, and we do a trivia game and like a little pizza party. And so it becomes an event uh, where mm-hmm. students to showcase their work that they have done related to like their writing or their art that they've done related to the book and talk about the book with others from different classes who have read it. So we'll pick a book and, you know, the whole school basically has the opportunity to read it. You know, they're not forced to. They can, they can opt out and, and choose a different book for their reading assignment but many of them choose to participate because they, once they see what the book club is and once they've had the opportunity to participate, they're really eager to do that again. I think where we struggle with the alternative school is really in having that leadership, that student leadership because our population is so um, transitory. You know, we may have a few months and then they're gone and then we have new kids coming all the time. But I know when, uh, I know that the essence of Project Lit is to really have students take the lead in planning each part of the book club, in choosing the books, in carrying out service projects you know, related to reading or literacy. And that's something that I'm hoping, you know, as I learn and grow into it, that I can find ways to, to also implement in an alternative school setting as well. In your situation, in your school, it's more than just about uh, reading. It, is, it actually is, in addition, 
an opportunity for writing, curriculum-based writing, as well as service learning then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they definitely write about whatever they're reading, talk about it, analyze it, create art about it. You know, they have the, the book club where they get to share. That's sort of their way of sharing out to the community. We're still working on the service learning piece. I, I'm trying. My goal is to try to figure out how, how we could do that in a way that works with the ch- special challenges and restrictions that we have at the alternative school. And it may be that we just have a smaller population of students that's able to participate in that particular piece. We have done field trips, though, which has been great. So last year, when the movie The Hate You Give came out, we read that book by Angie Thomas, and then we also um, took a group of about 20 students to go see the movie, which was a lot of fun. And then this year, we read um, Dear Martin by Nick Stone, and we were, and she actually came and spoke uh, at a local bookstore here in Nashville. And she um, and so I was able to take five students to go and meet her, and that was just really like life changing for them. I think remember forever. Like first of all, because Nick is amazing and cool and beautiful, and so they were just in awe of her and her presence. But to get to go with a group of students, like, after school and go eat together and go, like, hear her talk and meet her and get pictures with her. And then we went and got donuts afterwards. And it was just this whole little experience that, you know, the next day in school, it was like we had shared this this special secret. (laughs) And pass each other in the hallway and just smile. And, you know, they got their, they got to have, get their books signed. And it was just a really special uh, opportunity for them. So I'm really looking for, for more experiences like that as well. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful experience. Um, I had the opportunity to uh, take a group of students to meet Alex Haley one time uh, oh, wow. before he passed, and the beauty of it is is how it changes a student's perspective, and that they see that you know there's so much an author can help with understanding uh, the writing and the writer's purpose. So I'm sure that was a wonderful experience for the students. So one last thing, what is one book that you could suggest? I'd actually like you to, uh, to tell me, give me two. First off, a suggestion that teachers like you or, or I, uh, in our situation, uh, should be using with students. Yes. So I had, that, I had a hard time uh, narrowing that down because you're going to ask that question. And it could change tomorrow what that is, but it's a good start. So, I mean, I've got to say, out of all the Project Lit books, there are some great books out there. But the one that I have found instant, easy success, especially um, with students that uh, who are still building their capacity as readers, is Jason Reynolds' Long Way Down. Like, one of my favorite books of all time, just period. The book that has had students get to the ending and throw the book across the room is the only time it's acceptable to throw a book of Jason Reynolds. Or one of Tiffany Jackson's books, you can throw those too. Um, you know, because then that's a genuine interaction with the text. This is, this is a novel about the, uh, the cycle of violence. It's a novel about a boy coming to grips with the death of his older brother who he loved. And it's told in verse, which is just amazing. Jason Reynolds is a poet, and I have, we listen, we listen to the audiobook along with reading it. The audiobook is fantastic, and I've listened to this book so many times that there, there are parts that I have memorized, and I'll just recite it along with him. Because so, but it basically gets, gets a positive reaction from every kid that I give it to, and so that, that has to be my top choice of books to read with students. Okay. Okay, what about a uh, book for teachers to read? 
So uh, a book that I'm finishing up now that I'm finding very helpful, just going back to, you know, that issue of white teachers teaching students of color is uh, Chris Emden's uh, For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood and the mm-hmm. Rest of Y'all Too is the full title, which is, first of all, it's a great title. It cracks me up. This book I found to be really helpful in the sense that it's very practical. You know, a lot of books may, may be able to point out what is problematic or offer strategies, but I feel like he, the way that he explains um, some of the, uh, particularly looking at culture of African-American students and ways in which that can be validated in the classroom, just the, the way that he describes it and explains and the examples that he gives, I feel like are just very practical to me. So I'm just really <laughs> taking taking notes on each chapter as I read and thinking about, okay, well, what are these exact things and these behaviors that I can help incorporate or ways of being in my classroom that I can try to change and adapt so that it's not reflecting my cultural background, but effect reflecting the cultural background of my students and making this a comfortable, safe, safe space for them to learn. Once again, Shireen, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. This was very fun. This has been episode number 19, the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guest was not compensated for appearance, nor did guest pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may also be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.